Good morning. morning. Turn with me in your copy of the Scriptures, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. As you're turning there, let me tell you that the providence of our God who is seated on His throne is absolute. And the providence of our God who is seated on His throne was not missed on this preacher this morning as we look at what is the primary passage regarding the sealing. The sealing ministry of God's Holy Spirit is the Sunday that the Holiday Inn determines to reseal their parking lot. <laughs> so, that's uh, we didn't get any advance notice, but God didn't need any. He put a sealing sermon on a sealing Sunday here in Benton Bryan, Arkansas. Amen. By way of introduction, let me just point out that what we have attempted to do in the last few weeks as we have preached slowly and deliberately through Ephesians chapter 1 is to indicate that these verses do several things, not the least of which is they are the primary passage that will be found anywhere in Scripture that gives us the benefit of God's perspective on what salvation is. Most often when we think of salvation, we simply think of placing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that our sins have been forgiven, knowing that God's Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. And all those things are absolutely true, but we often limit ourselves to the perspective of our own experience in salvation. But in these first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1, we see the eternal perspective of God Almighty, the entire triune Godhead involved in the purposing and the planning and the purchasing and the carrying out of God's salvation of those whom He elected in the Lord Jesus Christ before the very foundation of the world. It is theological in nature, obviously, but it is also very practical in nature. There is no passage of Scripture that one can turn to in times of doubt, in times of trouble, in times of fear, or in times that you need the security of knowing that God truly does love you and what He has accomplished on your behalf, than to find it right here in these very verses. In verses 3 through 6, we see the work of God the Father. We see Him at work in eternity past, doing all that He does in accordance with the purpose of His will. For this purpose, for this purpose, in order that He might be praised for His glorious grace. There is the underpinning of the salvation of every soul that will spend an eternity with God. It is for the praise of His glorious grace. We read that God has blessed you, my believing brother and sister, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus our Lord. We read that God chose you, not because you are holy and blameless, but in order to make you holy and blameless. That you, brother and sister in Christ, were predestined by God the Father to be adopted as His son or as His daughter. All this is done in and through your union with Jesus Christ, which was established by the Father. In verses 7 through 12, we have seen the involvement of the beloved Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. His involvement we read of in the historical past, in the neighborhood of 2,000 years ago. The Lord Jesus Christ left His home in glory and He came here to save His people from their sins. He did that by redeeming us 
He redeemed us. He bought us out of the slave market of sin into which we had been born. The price that He paid was His own blood. The currency of the souls of men and women is dealt with in blood. The Lord Jesus Christ accomplished all. He accomplished all that was required for your forgiveness. The riches, have God's, the riches of God's grace have been lavished on you, brother and sister, all in accordance with God's wisdom and insight. That is what God has put at work for you in order that He might be praised and glorified. All of this done in accordance with God's wisdom and insight. Salvation is accomplished, established, and defended by Jesus Christ according to the purpose of God. The one who works all things according to the purpose of His will predestined you to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And my brother and my sister, you have obtained, you have obtained the inheritance which belongs to Jesus Christ and you and all of those that are in Christ because God placed you in Christ and Christ accomplished your salvation all for the praise of the glory of God. And today in verses 13 and 14, by God's grace, what we will see is the Holy Spirit of God at work in the salvation of the people of God, occurring in the very history of our lifetime. In the history of our lifetime, God the Holy Spirit has caused us, my brother and sister, to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has given you the new birth as evidenced by your faith and your repentance. The Holy Spirit is the seal of God that preserves you unto the end. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit of God is the seal that preserves every believer unto the end. And the Holy Spirit is the seal of God that marks you as belonging to God. The Holy Spirit is the seal of God that marks you as belonging to God. He is the guarantee of your final deliverance to glory, which is none other than being in the physical presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, age upon age, without end, Amen. To the praise of His glory, Amen and Amen. A short summary of my sermon this morning is this. Saved, sealed, and delivered. Let me elaborate on that just a little bit. We have two verses and three points. In verse 13, we will see that your salvation comes through God's Holy Spirit. That you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And the third point which is in verse 14, is this, that your delivery to glory is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Look with me now as we read the Scriptures together. Our sermon text is verse 13 and 14, but I'll begin reading in verse 3 for context. The Apostle, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, tells the church, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And now our text for this morning, the next two verses. In Him also, excuse me, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of His glory. May God bless the reading and the preaching of His word this morning. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You for the opportunity together this morning to read the Scriptures together, to pray through them, to sing praise to You, Father, and have a sermon this morning. Lord, I pray that You would bless the reading and the preaching of the Word this morning. Father, please bless the preacher and please bless the hearers to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. Salvation comes to us through the Holy Spirit. Salvation comes to us through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. In Him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Spirit. If I ask you to go through that verse and pick the three most important words, every one of you would pick heard, believed, and sealed, wouldn't you? It's important. We heard, we believed, and we were sealed. It's in Christ. In Him also. When we heard the Word, notice, also, also. The people that the Apostle was writing to in the region of Ephesus were primarily Gentiles. Among the other things that he is communicating when he says you also is this, is that salvation is no longer limited to the Jewish race. The Jews were God's original chosen people. It is through them that He chose to bring the Messiah. It is through them that He chose to give His law, the sacrificial system, the moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law, all 613 commands that the theologians have found in the Old Testament were given specifically to the Jews. Not to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, or any otherites. Simply to the Jews. No longer. No longer. In Him, you also... We Gentiles, just as much as those Jews. When we heard the word of truth. When we heard the word of truth. What we have in this one verse is the entire program of salvation. It's in Christ. When we hear that word of truth, which is the gospel of your salvation, Paul said, when there is belief that's associated with that, we're sealed immediately with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth. Church, there is no verse that points out anymore the necessity for us to be evangelists of Christ. You've all passed a church somewhere that said, with regard to the way you live your life, you need to live it right because you may be the only Bible that some people ever read. If you're the only Bible that some people ever read and it's just your actions that they observe, they will perish in their sin and they will go to hell. 
they must hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ declared just as you did, just as I did. There's got to be an evangelist. There's got to be a preacher. There's got to be a mama. There's got to be a Sunday school teacher. There's got to be a Boy Scout leader. There's got to be somebody that opens their mouth and declares to them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth of the fact that they are born dead in trespasses and sins, and apart from the grace of God in Jesus Christ, they will leave the world this way. That's the word of truth. That is the word of truth. That's the, not the word of error. That's not the word of subjectivity. That is the word of truth from the God of truth. The God of truth who has testified to the truth that Jesus Christ is who He said He is, and He accomplished what He came to do. He testified of Him by the descent of God's Holy Spirit upon Him at the baptism, the miracles that He performed that were signs in order to... to uh, 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 Clarify and absolutely codify that he was indeed who he claimed to be to confirm that. From his baptism to his resurrection to his ascension, Almighty God the Father has witnessed and given testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ is the living truth. That he is the one way to God. He is the one way that we can escape the penalty for our sin that we so richly deserve. That's the good news. That's the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel, that's simply what that word means. It means good news. Now notice, Paul said, the gospel of your salvation. Let's talk about gospel for a moment before I go into your salvation. Why is the gospel good news? What is it about the gospel that's good news? Well, the word that we find all throughout the Scriptures is this. Anytime we talk about salvation, and that's essentially what gospel is, it has to do with being rescued. It has to be... With, uh, has to do with being delivered. It has to do with being delivered from destruction. You see, we are under the wrath of God when we come into this world. Each and every one of us individually. Mankind in general, yes, but I'm not worried about mankind in general. I'm worried about my soul. I'm worried about your soul. Each one of us individually come into this world under the wrath and the condemnation of God. We need to be rescued from that. We can't help ourselves. We need to be delivered from that destruction. We can't deliver ourselves from that destruction. The good news is, is that Jesus Christ has accomplished everything that is necessary for the salvation of His people. But I go one step further. The Lord Jesus Christ accomplished salvation for His people at the cross. Let me say that again. The Lord Jesus Christ accomplished salvation for His people at the cross. My recommendation to you is, is that from time to time when you are involved in conversations with other believing Christians or at least professing Christians, and every opportunity that you have to ask anyone that opens this book and claims to be a teacher or claims to be a preacher, ask them this simple question. What, if anything, did Jesus Christ accomplish at the cross and pour yourself a, coffee, a, co a cup of coffee and lean back and get ready to hear some stories? The Bible answer to that question is, is that Jesus Christ accomplished salvation for His people at the cross. And anything short of that is a misunderstanding of the truth of God. Now notice, the Apostle said the Gospel, the good news of your salvation. Your. It doesn't get any more particular or individual in any one of our lives than the gospel of our own salvation. The gospel of your salvation. Friends, the Lord Jesus Christ did not go to the cross for anyone other than His people. He went there and He accomplished salvation for His people. And if He accomplished salvation on your behalf, it is your salvation that He accomplished there. I am really not interested 
in the, the, uh, the conversation with regard to the broad and the grand scope this morning, although it is an interesting conversation to be had, I want each one of us to ask ourselves the question this morning before we leave here, is the salvation that the Apostle is talking about in this passage, is it mine? Does it belong to me this morning? Do I belong to Jesus Christ? Do I know that my sins are forgiven? Do I know that He bore my sin on the cross? Do I know that His blood was shed for me? Have I been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not enough to acknowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for the redemption of His people. You've got to know it down in your soul that He died for you. That makes it your salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, my friends, apart from the preaching of God's Word, which is the general call. That's all I can do. I can preach until I'm out. I can preach until you've got to come splash a little cold water on my face. All I can do is issue the general call to you this morning. The Word of God is necessary for salvation to take place. But I say very respectfully, I say very respectfully, that even though the Word of God is necessary for salvation to take place, the Word of God is not sufficient for salvation to take place. If it were, everyone that ever heard it would be converted, would they not? It's the Word of God and it's the Spirit of God. Salvation is the work of the Spirit of God in the people of Jesus Christ. I can produce the general call this morning, but only God's Holy Spirit can produce the effective call in the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have faith and repentance, faith in Christ and repentance toward God this morning, it's because the Spirit of God, at the moment foreordained by God in eternity past, after you heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ declared, the Spirit of God quickened you. He exercised God's effectual call on you. He gave you spiritual life, and the evidence of that spiritual life is your faith in Christ and your, repent- your repentance Toward God. You see, salvation comes to the people of God through the preaching of His Word and the work of His Holy Spirit. You heard the word of truth, brother. By the power of God's Holy Spirit, you believed in Christ, sister, and you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That takes us to our second point. We were sealed, past tense. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit. The word that Paul used for sealed here, if you've got a Bible that's got some study notes in it, if it's any good at all, it will tell you that that word sealed can have two different uh, applications here. One, it can mean preserved. And the other, it can mean marked out. Marked out. Sealed in a way that it can be observed who you belong to. Depending on the author of that note, he'll come down on one side or the other. I'm firmly of the opinion that Paul indicates both things here. He means that that we are preserved by God's Holy Spirit and we are marked by God's Holy Spirit. It is God's Holy Spirit that was promised to us by Christ who has sealed us. I want to talk about being preserved for just a moment. Everyone understands what it means to be preserved, right? We're going to be preserved until the very end. Think of it this way. 
It is God's Holy Spirit that is the one who preserves us. He is our preservation. We're required to persevere, but we won't persevere unless God's Holy Spirit preserves us. My grandmother on my daddy's side, well, both of my grandmothers, but my grandmother on my daddy's side particularly canned. She didn't can as a hobby. She canned so they'd have something to eat when all the rest of the food was gone. After they'd gone to the nursing home, we took their little old cabin. It really was a log cabin. It had a little room added onto it. had a shake roof. That means a wooden roof. Just, they just made a roof out of cedar slabs. had a little attic in it. After they were both gone, I went up there with my daddy to help clean that place out. We got up and at it, and we got to looking around, and we found some of those old canning jars. They don't have the uh, screw-on lid. They had a glass lid. It goes in, and then you've probably seen it's got a bale that you pull over the top. My daddy said that his mother had not canned in years and years. I don't know how many years it had been. But we found an old cardboard box up there that the rats had eaten up. And there was two jars of peaches that she had canned. Big old jars. Bigger than quarts. They may have been half-gallon jars. I don't know. But she'd taken the peaches. She'd peeled them. She'd sliced them. She'd taken the pits out of them. So there were halves of peaches. And they were in those two jars. Those glass jars. And we wiped the dust off of them. They looked like she'd canned them last night. They had been preserved. They had been preserved. Now, I didn't open them up and eat them. I was a little scared of that. But they looked good. They were preserved. They went through the process, and they had been preserved up until that day. It is God's Holy Spirit that preserves us. He seals us. And in sealing us, it is the Spirit of God Himself who does the preservation. It is the Spirit of God Himself that does the marking. Our marking and our preservation is indeed the Spirit of God. It's not circumcision. It's not baptism. It's not the Lord's Supper. It's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's not even the power of the Spirit. We are sealed by the Spirit of God Himself. We are preserved by the Holy Spirit of God. He is doing the work of the Father and He's doing the work of the Son. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 6. He said, and this is the will of him who sent me, speaking of his father, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. The Lord Jesus told his disciples that it was expedient for them that he go away or the spirit would not come, that he was going to send them a comforter, that he was going to send them uh, one that would uh, walk alongside them, one that would give them illumination. And it is he who seals us. It is He who preserves us. How long, brother? Well, according to the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, he said this. He said, I'm sure of this, that He, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The work that the Father has begun in each one of us, brother and sister, is carried on by His Holy Spirit who is the seal of that salvation. It is He who preserves us until the day of Jesus Christ. But the Spirit of God not only preserves us, but He also marks us. He is the mark upon us that identifies us as being sons and daughters of God. The kind of mark that I'm talking about is not one that we can see when we're walking down the hallway and 
we pass someone at work, or maybe we're introduced to someone the first time we've not seen before. It's not an outward visible mark that, that you can see just in passing. So what is that mark? What does it mean to be marked by the Spirit so that we look like a child of God? Well, by virtue of the fact that the Spirit of God is the seal, and the Spirit of God is holy, I would recommend to you that holiness unto the Lord in the life of His people is that which marks us out from those that we have been saved out from among. Listen to what Paul told Timothy. He said, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are His, and everyone who names the name, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. What is departing from iniquity other than an increasing personal holiness in our lives? Brother, sister, as the Spirit of God seals us, He is our preservation. And as the Spirit of God seals us, He is our holiness. We lean not under our own devices. We're not saved by our works, we're not kept by our works, and we're not made holy by our works. It is the grace of God in every one of those instances as we surrender ourselves to the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. We have three commands in the New Testament regarding the Holy Spirit, three specific commands. Paul gives them all three to us. One of them is in the positive, two of them are in the negative. Paul tells us to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the positive command. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. He gives us two negative commands. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, which is essentially an encouragement to us to not sin. He's telling us that the person of the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells within us is grieved when we sin. The second thing that he tells us in the negative is, do not quench the Holy Spirit. In other words, as you are being led by the Holy Spirit, when you have the unction of the Holy Spirit that is leading you in accordance with the framework of Scripture, don't fail to go. If you're being led by God's Spirit in accordance with God's Word, don't fail to go. Follow Him as He leads. Do not sin against God and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are the kinds of things that lead to personal holiness that do mark out the people of the Lord God. Now, it may be, it may just be that there's someone here this morning that says to themselves, I may not be experiencing that at the level that I ought to. That's a reasonable question. Another reasonable question for each one of us to ask ourselves, not for me to ask you or for you to ask me, I can't answer it for you and you can't answer it for me, but the question I want to ask myself is, am I really a child of God? Am I being preserved? Have I been marked out? Does His Holy Spirit live within me? Well, we're not the first ones to ask that question. And the reason I ask for John... 1 John chapter 5 to be read this morning is this, is that throughout the entire book of 1 John, he's writing to dear and beloved people who many of whom were probably converted under his ministry, and among other things that they were dealing with was that same question. In other words, am I holy? Am I holy? Has God preserved me by his Holy Spirit? Has God sealed me by his Holy Spirit? Has he marked me out by his Holy Spirit? John gave them three tests, and I would recommend that if you're wrestling with whether or not you've been sealed by God's Holy Spirit, here are the tests that you can apply to your own heart. I can't apply them. You can't apply them to me. But this is the Word of God. John gave three considerations. He gave them, I believe, seven times and never in the same order. So I would indicate that would indicate to me that these three things are of sufficient importance that he can move them in and out in the order of things. But the first order that he gave them in is this. 
The children of God are characterized by, number one, faith in Christ. And when I say faith, I'm talking about complete trust and complete reliance upon Lord Jesus Christ and not anything else. It's not Christ in circumcision. It's not Christ in baptism. It's not Christ in good works. It's not Christ in being a good Baptist. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. Complete trust and complete reliance in Jesus Christ the Lord. Does that characterize you? Does that characterize me? The second test that John says that we can apply to ourselves is this. Is do we have a strong and deep desire to be obedient to the commands of Christ? Now notice, what I didn't say is, are we always obedient to the commands of Christ? I can answer that for you as well as answer it for me. The answer is no, we don't. We don't. But the question is this, do we have a strong desire to be obedient to the commands of Christ? Do we feel compelled to confess our sins when we fail to be obedient to Christ? Do we ask God's Holy Spirit to give us strength to mortify, to put to death the sins of our flesh? Are we pursuing after holiness and righteousness? It's all combined in that statement or that question. Do we have a deep desire to be obedient to Christ? Number one, do you trust Christ alone? Number two, do you find a deep desire to be obedient to Him? And then lastly, John gave us this test. He said, do you have love for the brothers? Do you have love for the brothers? Would you rather be with God's people than out there with lost folks? If the answer to that question is no, there's only two potential answers as far as I can find in Scripture. Either number one, you haven't been saved. Or number two, you do belong to the Lord Jesus, but you've got unconfessed sin in your life, and it really is uncomfortable listening to the Word of God. One of those two things. Do you love the brothers? Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you trust Jesus exclusively? If you can answer those questions honestly in your heart, it's a pretty good indicator of what your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is. Those are the tests that the Apostle John has given. It's another way of saying, am I on the path of personal holiness? Now, personal holiness, you understand, is not what gets us to heaven. Justification is what gets us to heaven. It is the death by the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ where we are declared not just not guilty, but innocent and righteous. So, let no one leave and make the mistake of thinking that I'm telling you that personal holiness leads to salvation. No, just the opposite. I'm telling you that salvation leads to personal holiness. Amen. Are you sealed? Are you sealed with the promise Holy Spirit? Ask yourself that question. And I pray that by sundown that we can all answer that question in the affirmative. Yes, God is at work in my life. The evidence of His Spirit is there. Praise God. The third thing I'd like to talk about for a moment this morning is in verse 14. Our deliverance to glory is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Our deliverance to glory is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 14 who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of that inheritance to the praise of God's glory. BSV translates that word as guarantee. There are other translations that are good English translations. Some say that He is the earnest 
He is the down payment. It can be rendered any way. Anybody in here ever bought a house and put a little earnest money down on it? You put it down for them to hold it, didn't you? You put it down and you said, I'm going to complete this transaction. Well, guess what? You don't get your earnest money back if you don't complete the transaction. You've got an opt-out clause, but you give up the earnest money. The point is, is that the earnest is never withdrawn, right? God does not withdraw the Holy Spirit from His people. You remember when, when David confessed his great sin with, with Bathsheba? You remember in his... His prayer time there, he asked God to, to not remove His Spirit from him. Brothers and sisters, don't spend your time praying that God will not remove His Spirit from you. When God comes and takes up uh, a dwelling place in us now, on this side of the cross, His Spirit comes and He lives with us forever. He is the earnest. He is the pledge of God. He is God's promise. He is God's confirmation. He is God's assurance that He will complete what He has begun. When God gives us Spiritual life, He does not take that spiritual life away. God's Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. He is that down payment. He is God's pledge that God will complete the work that He has begun in us. Paul not only said this to the Ephesians, he told it to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. If you're in Christ this morning, it's God that established that relationship and He has anointed us. In other words, He has poured out His Holy Spirit upon us. He goes on to say, and God has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit of God is the sanctifier of His people. He is the comforter of His people and He is the illuminator of His people. Do not go without the witness of God's Holy Spirit in your life, brother and sister in Christ. We read in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do you have that witness in you this morning? And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. The book says that he is the guarantee until we acquire possession of it. Look at the marginal reading there in your ESV. It says that He is the guarantee until God redeems His possession. It is God that does the redeeming. We are the possession of Almighty God. He redeemed us with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, not with gold and silver and other corruptible things, but we have been redeemed by the incorruptible blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Incorruptible doesn't just mean that it's not corrupted. It means that it cannot be corrupted. The incorruptible blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is this redemption that he's talking about? What is this, this full redemption, this complete possession, this complete inheritance that He's talking about. He's talking about the totality of our salvation. Everything that God had blessed us with in the heavenlies before the foundation of the earth, everything that will be ours in Jesus Christ, and it's a very long list. And I won't take the time to list all of that, but let me just encourage you today, my brother and sister in Christ, if you're feeling low, if you feel low down, the old guy said I was lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. If you've ever been down there, think on this, that the day is coming when our redemption is complete, when we will no longer live in these earthly bodies of weakness and corruption and death. The day is coming when we will no longer be exposed to the danger and sorrow and affliction of walking in this world. Our redemption will be complete. When we no longer will be endangered by the world and the flesh and the devil, that day is coming. The day is coming when we will no longer be subject to temptation and doubts 
and fears. Praise God. The day is coming when we will no longer struggle against besetting sins. We all have them. Don't deny it. We all have besetting sins. The day is coming when you'll no longer struggle against that. Not when you fall and rise up and fall and rise up. And is there anybody tired of falling and rising up besides me? The day is coming when our redemption will be complete. The day is coming when there'll never be another extramarital affair. There'll never be another divorce. There'll never be another abortion. There'll never be a new addict and there'll never be another alcoholic. The day is coming when there'll be no sickness and no depravity and no deformity. The day is coming when I'll never preach another funeral and there'll be no more tears. The day is coming when the unrepentant are in hell, in the hell that we all deserve with the devil. And the day is coming when the redeemed are in the glory that we do not deserve with our Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the day is coming when we will never confess and we will never repent because we will never sin. The day is coming when there will be no shame. The day is coming when there will be no humiliation in any of our lives. Only unmixed joy in the physical presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. The day is coming where we will for age upon age without end worship and praise and give thanks and glorify the Father who chose us, who predestined us and adopted us as children of God. When we will worship and praise and give thanks and glorify the Son who redeemed us, the Son in whom we trust and in whom we have obtained our inheritance. The day is coming when we will praise and glorify and give thanks to the Spirit by whom we are sealed and marked and preserved. And who is the pledge of God to us to finally deliver us from this dwelling place to dwelling with Him for everlasting eternity. That is the guarantee of the Spirit of God. That is the perseverance of the saints. Amen. To the praise of the glory of God. Let me close with, I think, what are very fitting words on this subject from our Lord Jesus Himself. From the Gospel according to John. The Lord Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. I give them eternal life, and they will never, no, not ever, perish. And no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. He went on to say, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of Truth, God's Holy Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. May it be so in all of our lives, to the glory of Christ and the good of our souls. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful and thankful for the work of the entire Godhead on our behalf for Your glory. Father, as we come to this close of, or this, uh, the close of this passage of Scripture that outlines for us the involvement of Father, Son, and Spirit in the salvation of the people of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, may we, may we bow before You with deep humility and give You the thanks and the praise and the worship and the glory that you so richly deserve. Father, would you take 
Your Spirit this morning in the lives of Your people and encourage us. Father, make us courageous. Father, I pray that You would work in our lives and remove all doubt that we are indeed Your sons and daughters. Father, if there's one this morning under the sound of my voice that is not Your son or daughter, would You take the glorious Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of Your Spirit, would You do what only You can? Would You give them spiritual life and give evidence of that, Father, by the blessing of repentance towards You and faith in the Lord Jesus? Father, be with us now as we continue on in this service, as we continue to sing songs of praise to you. And Father, prepare our hearts now as we get ready to come to the table and celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ, his broken body and his shed blood, whereby we are justified and made the sons and daughters of God. We thank you in his precious name. Amen.